Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's Mormon Discussion Podcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $3 a month or $25 a year. And this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. A little under the weather today, so my voice might sound just a little, uh, I don't know, a little different. But I wanted to have a conversation, and I don't know how exactly I'm going to put this together in my head. Um, but I've got a thought, and I want to run this thought by you because I, I think it's crucial to the way in which we look at prophets and apostles within the Latter-day Saint tradition. And... I have to start by talking a little bit about modern-day leaders, and then I want to go back and look at church leaders or God's authorized servants, which is a different thing, and I think we get that. Like, Lehi isn't running a church, and Nephi isn't running a church. Isaiah is not running a church. Moses isn't running a church. Not really. And at least some of those guys are absolutely not even, that can't be construed from the data. So if I look at modern leaders, unless, you know, we take President Monson and we look at the November 2015 policy and we say to ourselves like, yeah, that just wasn't from God. And, and then we go back and we look at President Hinckley and Harold B. Lee and Ezra Taft Benson and Joseph Fielding Smith and Howard W. Hunter. And if we just go through the list. So picture in your mind all of these men. And let's take a few of them and let's just talk about them for a moment. Joseph Fielding Smith and Bruce R. McConkie, who's an apostle, not a president of the church, granted. But Joseph Fielding Smith and Bruce R. McConkie, his son-in-law, who tends to spout the exact same type of dogma and ideas and speculation and theology that his father-in-law did. Like, do we recognize that within Mormonism, we call Joseph Fielding Smith a prophet? And yet, if we laid out everything that he has said and taught, we would have to throw out probably more than half of it as nonsense, as false speculation, as not true doctrine, not true teachings. Now, think about that for a moment. Here's a man authorized by God to speak for God who goes out of his way to try and speak with authority constantly. And yet, at least half or more of the stuff that comes out of his mouth is nonsense. And the church admits this. You've got Elder Christofferson in his talk, The Doctrine of Christ. At the same time, it should be remembered that not every statement made by a church leader, past or present, necessarily constitutes doctrine. It is commonly understood in the Church that a statement made by one leader on a single occasion often represents a personal, though well-considered, opinion, not meant to be official or binding for the whole Church. And then he goes on to repeat uh, the quote that a prophet is only a prophet when acting as such. 
um, from the Prophet Joseph Smith. So if a leader says something on a single occasion, it doesn't mean a whole lot. Here's the trouble. We as human beings say silly, false things all the time. So if two people within leadership of the church say that the Yankees are going to win the World Series this season, that doesn't make it true either. So this idea that just saying it one time is, is really a cop-out. And you can sense in Christofferson's words that he's really not wanting to make it sound like it happens a lot. But the reality of Mormonism is that it happens a lot. And you get the very next general conference six months later, Elder Anderson wants to follow the same idea up and hit this from the other side. So it's like two sides of a coin. And he says, How few question their faith when they find a statement made by a church leader decades ago that seems incongruent with our doctrine. There's an important principle that governs the doctrine of the church. The doctrine is taught by all 15 members of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve. It is not hidden in an obscure paragraph of one talk. True principles are taught frequently and by many. Our doctrine is not difficult to find. I actually make the argument in a, in a previous episode that our doctrine is impossible to find because we don't ever spell out what our doctrine is. And, and whatever nobody ever wants to give us an actual hard, rubber-meets-the-road kind of definition of doctrine because no matter what definition you come up with, there's a problem with that definition. So you have leaders of the church who constantly say silly stuff. Look at Ezra Taft Benson. Do we really want to say like, no, 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 that guy's getting all of his stuff from God. Like that guy, if I'm honest, said a lot of crazy stuff. And the Quorum of the Twelve at the time were not comfortable with the things he was saying. And yet he becomes the president of the church, right? Joseph Fielding Smith, we talked about. Bruce R. McConkie, who's an apostle, we talked about. President Monson in the policy, we talked about. But even the racism of David O. McKay and Spencer W. Kimball and all the men before that, George Albert Smith, like it becomes really difficult to look at these men and say like, no, 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 here it is. When they said that, that was true. And when they said that over there, that was false. Like the only way to know when something's true or isn't is the spirit inside yourself or your inner authority, your gut. So as I look at modern day church leaders, with Brigham Young being what I would call not a nice man, and yes, we are all a mixed bag, but there are things that Brigham Young said and did that speak to, um, and I, and I want to be careful how I choose my words, because I don't want to just like jump in this bandwagon and say, Brigham Young was evil, but I want to say he was not a nice guy, and he did a lot of horrible things to people, and he taught unhealthiness and abuse being okay within the context in which he taught it. And so I'm really uncomfortable with looking at the character of Brigham Young and his teachings, Adam God, Blood Atonement, and others, him lying about Mountain Meadows Massacre years after it happened, still blaming the Indians in his sermons in spite of knowing by that time that the Native Americans had nothing to do with it. So I don't look at him as a very honest person. I don't look at him as a very as a teacher of, of healthy ideas. I see him as abusive. I see him as racist. And I look throughout our history from him forward, and I'll leave Joseph Smith alone for the time being. But from Brigham Young forward, I see people who, it's, it's just as possible they're saying something speculative and unhealthy and dishonest as they are teaching 
the word of God in truth. And so, as I look at that, and then I look at these quotes from Elder Christofferson and Elder Anderson, it becomes recognizable that the church acknowledges that its leaders say silly, speculative, unhealthy things. And the way to know is that when something is taught consistently, but even that's not accurate because we can pick out issues in our past, maybe referring back, for instance, to the 1981 leaked manual by uh, Mormon leaks that shows that the church across the board was teaching very unhealthy, abusive, and false ideas about homosexuality. That looking to the church to teach something consistently or looking for all 15 men to teach it simply doesn't work. Now, here's the crux. Leaders throughout our modern throughout the the modern church, leaders have always pointed back and said, "Look, one of the ways to know is if what we say as prophets and apostles meshes with the scriptures." And that feels better, right? Like it feels like, "Oh, good. The scriptures say that too." Therefore, I'm safe here with what these guys say. But here's the crux. If I go back in time, do we seriously not expect Isaiah to be saying stupid things too? Do we not expect Abraham to be teaching unhealthy concepts? Do we really expect Elijah to not be abusive? Do we look at Moses and expect him to not be racist and homophobic? And, and to have character traits that are really bad. Like, if our modern-day leaders struggle to discern the will of God and often get it wrong, and then ask us to measure what they say by other prophets in the past who also likely, right? Because I just don't think it's fair to say, no, 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 no. These guys today, they struggle with this stuff. But those guys back then, they had this stuff down. I don't think that's appropriate. So when I look at the past and I say, ah, you know what? Isaiah put that stuff down on some lambskin and uh, dried it out and rolled it up and kept it. Like that means he had to have been teaching the truth. Like think about this for a moment. Why would leaders in the ancient church be any less fallible than leaders today? And the answer is they wouldn't be. In fact, Outside of an information age, they are more likely to say unhealthy things, to perpetuate abusive and unhealthy teachings. They are more likely to get away with racism and homophobia. Our leaders today have the benefit of a verifiable historical record in their day. They can go read journal entries. They can go read uh, the newspaper. They can go read a book. They can today go look up on the internet. And, and look at sources. And having information all around you helps us as an individual and as a society to be more accurate and to be more bound to the facts. Not that we get it perfect, not that there isn't room for error, but it is less so. Now, go back in time. There's no newspaper. There's no way for one prophet to know the the, the life and experiences of another prophet other than what that guy wrote down as scripture intended to be used within the religious community. 
There's way more room for unhealthiness. There's way more room for abuse. There's way more room for bigotry. And so why would we measure one, what we see as one fallible group? We would measure what they do by another fallible group. In other words, when I look at Paul and I see him say something that appears to be homophobic, like, why can't it just be homophobic? Like, we're going to allow the policy of 2015 to be homophobic. We're going to allow Bruce R. McConkie to be a racist. We're going to allow Brigham Young to not be uh, that nice. We're going to allow um, Joseph Fielding Smith to say silly things that aren't true. Like, if I take Bruce R. McConkie's Mormon doctrine, like, literally, if we go through that page by page, and we should do that someday, we're going to throw out, like, 85% of that book as speculation or nonsense and, or absurd. If we take Joseph Fielding Smith's writings, we're going to throw out a ton of it as bigotry, as nonsense, as speculation, and much of it as absurd. So when I go back into the Old Testament and even the New Testament to an, to an extent, I am left seeing these men as just as fallible and almost certainly more so. So the, the point I'm trying to make is why in the world? And I should say this too. Because the response back is, Bill, they are prophets. Yes, they make mistakes, Bill. But it is your responsibility, Bill, because God has put them in charge of the church to, to cede your own authority to them and to follow in obedience so that you can be right with God on the gospel path in spite of the fact that these men are fallible and make serious mistakes. But here's the problem with that. And here's, here's the second crux of the entire argument. When you look at all of this, when you look at all of, of, if you just let your brain open up and you say, who are these people and how trustable is what they say? Here's what I come down on. And, and this can sound really critical of the church, but here's where I come down. I'm 39 years old. I've had a decent amount of life experience that I'm able to look back at my life and say, what's worked and what hasn't? What things did I used to believe that just now, just, they're just absurd. They're just not right. They're not appropriate. And they've hurt others. And, they've, they, and I've had bigotry. And I've been homophobic. And I've, and I've been racist. And, and I've taught silly stuff, silly theology. I've shared uh, faith-promoting rumors and as I've grown up, and now I'm 39 years old, I feel like I've got a pretty good grasp on where I was wrong and what work I still have to do and, and what's the right way to treat others on this beautiful planet. And when it comes to issues of racism and, and sexuality and gender and sexual attraction... Like, I think I've got it figured out. And I look at my life and I look back and I say, you know what? I'm not really going to let somebody else, no matter what their position is in authority, trump my conscience at this point. Like, in an earlier age, we needed that. We all needed that. Like, like I don't want to dismantle the idea of having outer authorities. For my teenagers, for my, for my 12-year-old, for my 14-year-old, for my 16-year-old, I want them 
to look to and to respect outer authorities. And I think the scriptures calls us to this, that in an earlier stage of development, it is right to have rules and boundaries and authorities within a community. And to have folks in lower stages of development feel the compulsion to adhere to those rules, boundaries, and authorities. But for everyone who's woken up, for everybody who is awake and woken up to the second half of life, everybody who's entered a later stage of development, and you know who you are, because you've left that black and white paradigm, you've developed an inner authority, and you're able to see things in more of a mystical or mythical way. You're not bound to the literal. And, and as you've gotten to that place in your life, why in the world would you hand over your conscience to some man in the Old Testament named Isaiah? Like, why would you hand over your conscience to some man in the Old Testament named Abraham or Moses or Elijah or Job? Like, can we look at those stories and learn good things and apply them to our lives? Absolutely. But why in the world would you be bound to take these fallible men in an age of unverifiable history when they are more likely to be spouting speculation, nonsense, and absurdity and trust what they say when there's a conflict to guide your life? Like, oh, they think this should happen and I think that should happen, but you know what? They're a prophet. I'm going to do what they say. Like the moment you take back your own inner authority and you've entered later stages of development, you recognize like, oh, I do a better job of gauging right and wrong and how I need to treat this person next to me who's different than me than all those guys did. Those guys seem to be doing pretty miserably at that. So why in the heck would I hand over my conscience to those men? And so I simply say, like, there's a time and a place for rules and boundaries and outer authorities. And yes, to some extent, those things are still in our lives forever. Right? Like, I don't just get to decide that I'm going to go 10 miles over the speed limit. And when the police officer stops me, I get to say, like, sir, my inner authority said that it was okay. And so I'm just going to ask you to go ahead and get back in your car and drive away. That's not going to happen. There's still going to be authorities and rules and boundaries, and they're necessary. But what I'm saying is that when there is a moral conflict, and the scriptures tell you one thing, and modern day prophets and apostles either say something different or say the same thing, and your gut tells you that what they are doing is unhealthy, abusive, and wrong. Why in the world would you hand your authority over to these men who seem to lack the development and perspective that you have? And again, this can be offensive to church leaders. I welcome, if LDS leaders want to... Um, and there, and there are tests out there for this to see what stage of development you're in. 
if LDS leaders want to take the test with me and with a few other people who are saying this kind of message, and we take a test to see where we all are in our stages of development, and then if they're ahead of me, I can go, oh, yeah, darn me for thinking I was further ahead in development than you. Like, I get that. And it's not about being smarter. It's not about life experience. It's not about being called of God or having authority from God. It doesn't have anything to do with any of those. It has to do that as I've gone through life and my development has changed and my morality has changed and I see myself is no longer basing my morality on ethnocentricity in the way that I did 10 years ago and I've now moved into world centricity and maybe a few little pieces of me into cosmic centricity. As I'm walking along the gospel path, which I see as the path of development, and I look in the rearview mirror, I see the leaders of my faith behind me in development. And again, people can construe that to mean a thousand other things if they want. But I no longer trust these men behind me to gauge for me what is good morality and what isn't. And I have to suppose that if I go back in time, that Moses and Noah and Isaiah and Elijah and Abraham and Job, those guys are almost certainly behind me in the rearview mirror as well. And it's not that I don't listen to those people. They have wise things that they've said and taught. The scriptures have deep value. I'm willing to place hope that these men were authorized by God. I simply don't trust them above my own morality in my own conscience. And I don't know why in the world anybody would who's in later stages of development. And you can sense this in people. And, and I'll share an example generally. When you look at the wise voices in our religion, you look at certain scholars, uh, certain authors, certain philosophers, folks maybe who have a little more of a theological bent to them, when you hear those voices, do you notice how they hesitate when asked the difficult questions? Not because they need to give a wise answer and think it through, but rather do you notice they recognize that there's a line and they can only go so far and they really can't share their full self? And you have to ask yourself, what's the reason why we can't be honest and share our perspectives because those are good men who hold ideal perspectives and who are developed individuals with a developed morality. And yet they can't tell you what they're thinking and you can tell they can't tell you what they're thinking and they can't tell you what they're thinking. Why? And the only answer is that Mormonism is too unhealthy to allow it. It's the only barrier. Take that barrier away and they just vocalize where, they're, where they are. If you just take away the unhealthiness and the we're the authorities and don't you dare say something that contradicts what we say, it's what compels all of these men to enter this nuanced space where every word has to be couched and said appropriately. And you got to be really careful. And the only explanation is because the unhealthiness of Mormonism and it's unhealthy because the leadership is collectively in this stage of ethnocentricity. Even if some of the top 15 are world-centric or cosmic-centric, for example, President Uchtdorf, 
even if that's the case, the reality is that collectively this group operates out of the stage of development of ethnocentricity. And hence, when you look at the progressive Mormon community who have moved out of ethnocentricity, the collective voice of ethnocentricity is in the rearview mirror. And so why would you trust Isaiah and Abraham and Elijah? Or why would you trust Joseph Fielding Smith or Bruce R. McConkie or Ezra Taft Benson? When you've entered a space where your morality and your development places you ahead of them. And again, you have to understand because people will listen to this episode and that's it. Bill Real has to go. Again, I'm not speaking to the authority from God that they have. I'm not speaking to whether God is utilizing them. Instead, I'm speaking to the idea that they are insulated by yes men all around them. And when you realize like the mechanisms that are in place, like if you are a Mormon leader, you are surrounded by yes men. You are surrounded by other folks who are looking to gain your approval and to work themselves up in the ecclesiastical ladder. Like you look at these, these videos that Mormon leaks put out of these meetings that church leaders have, and you see these older videos with Elder Halstrom and Elder Rasband, uh, Elder Clayton, uh, and other members of the 70 sitting just behind the top 15. And you sense like which 70s are moving up in the church and look to as more authoritative voices than other 70s. And you begin to sense like the mechanism is in place that for you to be called into the top 15, you have to have established already your loyalty to these men. Like you've already established that you've spent your life seeking their approval and thinking like them. And such a mechanism has the top 15, their stage of development appearing as if, oh my goodness, those are the ones who have arrived and that's what I'm aiming for. And you recognize like the system is in place that doesn't allow the encouragement that is healthy and needs to be present to help people move out of ethnocentricity into something bigger. And the mechanism that does that is to allow critical thought and is to call leaders who have not established a certain kind of loyalty to call leaders and encourage them to dissent and to disagree at times, to surround yourself not with just men who will support you regardless of what decisions you make, but also men who will speak up and say, there's something unhealthy here and it needs to change. And only in a system that welcomes critical thought and rewards it do you create a system that encourages people out of an ethnocentric stage into something deeper. And they have no ability to engage with vulnerability and transparency and to be locked out of those two things stalls one's development 
and leaves one in an ethnocentric morality and an ethnocentric belief system that causes us to judge each other and to hurt each other rather than finding ways to love each other and to include each other. It's my prayer that every single person listening to this podcast who has developed an inner authority will recognize that yes, you take in all the wise things that all those around you say, but at the end of the day, you go with the Holy Ghost within you, which is your gut and your conscience. And whether the Old Testament or the New Testament or modern day leaders consistently teach something, that by itself has so many exceptions. And unless an LDS leader is willing to have that conversation about all the things that the church consistently taught wrong, then anyone in that developed paradigm ought to recognize that the Holy Ghost within themselves trumps everyone else. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen. Taking out my issues never healed